We're going. All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of Empathic's Empathic Futures Lab, the show about designing human-focused futures for the environments we live in. I'm wow. Christian. I'm Chris. <laughs> and today uh, we have a special guest on our show. His name is Robert. Hello. <laughs> that was that was an interesting way to say hello, I guess. Um, and he is an architectural designer and freelance photographer in, in some spare time. And uh, he's got a couple projects that he's been working on that, um, well, we, we sort of, we went to, we went to grad school together, mm-hmm. but he has a couple projects that he's been working on uh, since school that we think are pretty interesting and we kind of want to hear about and uh, talk about the scope and background and sort of how we got into all this stuff. It's pretty pretty fun stuff right so why don't you tell us about your uh what you're doing and where you how you got to where you are robert yeah so i um as christian started off by saying we the three of us kind of went to school together um and we graduated uh just over a year and a half ago i think um and after that i made a move from illinois to new york i was working in an architecture firm um the office of kyle may architect um in brooklyn I was working there for nine months, and then um, I start. I'd been working on a project from something I started in grad school, some photography collections that focused on infrastructure and kind of American views of our culture and our landscape, and how infrastructure impacts that. And I didn't really have any cohesive idea behind that it was just a thought in my head um and i was picking up some more photography stuff when i was living in brooklyn um and in the in may of 2017 last year i decided to start the first project really investigating some of these ideas and it's called portals um it is a photographic catalog of the entrances to new york city's underground subway stations and their immediate surroundings and the idea of the project is, um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into more detail about the infrastructure side of it, but the project is a photographic collection of every single entrance to the underground portions of the subway system. When I say underground, I mean that because 60% of what we consider the subway system in New York is underground. 40% of it is made up of either elevated stations or um, unique stations, whether it be kind of embankments, not fully enclosed, etc., so I, I really wanted to only focus on the underground ones, and that was rooted in the concept of when you enter the system underground, you lose all sense of context of the city, you lose all context of how far you've traveled, how long you've traveled, unless you rely on a watch or the signage of the stations. Um, and so the reverse of that, the city itself, the only um, indications of the system underground becomes the entrances to the subway. Um, So even though so much of the city relies on the subway, the only way you know it exists is through the entrances. So by photographing every single one in a very standardized process, um, every photograph is taken from the same vantage point, uh, you kind of lose the identity of the stations and you focus more on the surroundings. So that's been the last eight months of my life or so. I'm finishing the editing and presentation of the project right now and it'll be on exhibit at the university of illinois starting on april 2nd 2018 
Well, that's a real deadline you just put on yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. in writing now. We're, yes, it we're, is officially recorded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The first official um, announcement, I guess, of the exhibit. Yeah. Yeah, that's we exciting. Could, we could like, maybe include a link. Yeah. Actually, Once, that's probably a good idea in the well, show notes. We'll we can include a link, include a link to your link. website. Yeah. We'll include a link in the show notes, <laughs> yeah. yes, for sure. For sure. We'll click... You have to listen to my voice as I, as I, as I spell out the link to Robert's yeah. website. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack, I think, in, yes. in, in yes. what you were talking about in, in describing this project. I think uh, maybe the first part is you had mentioned that you'd gone through an interest in infrastructure in the American landscape behind, beyond, or before portals, and it sort of evolved into portals. Um, so I guess maybe the first thing we want to talk about is... is in, thoughts on infrastructure as a whole. So why, what inspired this interest in infrastructure? I think, um, you know, that's something that's always at least um, tertiary, tertiarily or like, you know, it's somewhat related to architecture, but it's not necessarily a big portion of what we studied in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so where, where did this come from? What is, why are we talking about this? I think the initial idea... For infrastructure and what I call Americana, I first thought, so Portals, this project we're discussing, is the first in a new series I'm starting called Infrastructure of Americana, and I tend to refer to it just as Americana. I will for this conversation. Um, Americana started really several years back. I did, um, I had studied abroad in France, and when I came back from that experience, I did a cross-country road trip with a good friend of mine, and during that experience, I, w- I was taking photographs, of course, and we started grad school shortly after that, and it was during that time that I started going through these photos and thinking more about it, and um, there was the most unique experience from that trip was the fact that we had been living in Europe for nine months, and anytime we would travel, you know, you'd go to a new country with new currency, a new language, etc., and... Then I flew back to the America, and I flew over to California to drive across the country with my friend, and we traveled 4,000 miles using the same language, the same culture, the same identity that we always have. And there was something to be said about the fact that we could have such a experience, an experience at such a scale, um, yet yeah, everything seemed so unified. Um, and, of course, we could unpack that in itself, but that was the... It was the reasons why we could do that, the roads we were taking, the resources that were available to us through infrastructure that allowed us to do that. So that was the initial seed for this project. And then um, just more conversations during graduate school with the two of you and some other people. Um, I started to take an interest in kind of looking at neutral objects. I'm not as interested in looking at buildings themselves, per se, um, but more so the relationship between buildings or the networks that are developed between the um, objects of the built environment and how that plays a role in the shaping of our culture. Right. It's almost like you're saying that there's something distinctly or like, you know, distinctly American about infrastructure or, or this infrastructure, the way we've built it, or even that America is, is so deeply tied to its infrastructure and the way that we move about and, and right. yeah, we have our country. And, and it's, and, it's the physical, you know, moving across the country and the highway system we have, but also the cultural side of it. We have a view of the American landscape, the view of our national parks, the way we think this country operates, and 
we have those views largely because of the infrastructure that facilitates them. You know, we have the views of this gorgeous landscape because we have the ability to go into these parks with the roads and the trails that we've so, developed. Right. So on that trip, on this road trip that you described, mm-hmm. um, can you, what are the, what are these elements or infrastructures that you found to be the most compelling as you're driving 4,000 miles across the country? You know, these ones that are the most compelling, mm-hmm. but also the most ubiquitous in terms of their um, distribution or um, uh, sort of how, how they dot the landscape as you, as you have this trip. Yeah, the dotting is an interesting comment because I remember... Um, you know, a lot of the trip was out west, out in the desert, and a lot of it was driving for hours out in the middle of nowhere, where all you would see along the road are telephone wires or electric poles, and occasionally you'd pass through a town, but, um, there's something to be said when people complain about, oh, you're out in the middle of nowhere or something, yet you can still find remnants, um, elements of human civilization, and there's something, um, I think the more that I've developed the project, and the more I've push the cultural side of it and how these systems impact the way we view culture the more it's developed um my understanding of globalization and my understanding of how kind of these neutral systems can be used to actually um further globalization in a positive direction i believe and not in the way that we tend to discuss it today so how does it do it positively i think globalization today tends to be viewed um more our current notion of globalization is more the idea that we can kind of apply any lifestyle or any environment um to any setting without detrimental consequence i think it's this idea that we can kind of create a monotonous culture and i think that's the opposite view of globalization i think globalization more allows us to connect diversity and show our differences um and i think the easiest way to do that is through infrastructure i think by having neutral systems that allow us to co- connect different cultures instead of trying to merge them. It allows us to keep them separate and show um, their distinctions and celebrate that instead of trying to create one. Why shouldn't the infrastructures culture? adapt to the cultures that they that they pass through? So let's I think say- they do, but I think there's a simplicity or a... Um, I think, nah, simplicity is not right, but a um, fundamental kind of primacy to infrastructure that um there's not too much packed into in terms of bias and stuff like that like uh, if you take the subway and this portals project as an example you know unless you're a child or elderly everyone gets charged the same fee for riding the subway the subway connects every neighborhood in the city and it's not or as many as possible and it it's not um taking sides based on race or gender or anything it's taking but, I mean, the distribution of those subway stops may be doing that. Yes, you're right. And that is something to consider further in the research when we're preparing for the exhibit. But um, I didn't find any of that when I was taking the photos. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, I think infrastructure, you know, it's funny that you bring up neutral systems, right? And, and um, maybe this is something we get into more later. As we as we go beyond or talk about what go, comes next in these projects in the future, but you know it's it's certainly been in the news recently. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different kind of infrastructure in some respects, with like net neutrality being infrastructure versus a service, and yes. how we consider that. Um, 
but you know it, it's a, kind of a similar aspect it's just now that's something that's very much on our minds versus roads and railways and electrical outlets it's i think very much very easy to put those to the back burner and ignore ignore them or even just sort of take them for granted yes uh, i think that taking for granted is a good is a good point because i think there's um there's an attitude towards infrastructure and just anything that naturally you have to maintain over a period of time that you don't necessarily, you know, you build something and you assume, I think people assume that it's built, we put money into it and we can keep moving on. And I think when something is working properly, it's hard to convince people we should put X amount of money into it when they're just going to come around and say, why? Nothing's wrong. It's working. Right. We don't need to invest in this. Right. And I think what you were talking about within the news, the subway system in New York has been in the news recently. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to oversimplify anything that's going on, but I think generally when these discussions are had, it's usually at a point where I don't want to say it's too late, but it's usually at a point of more failure than success. And it's at a point where we've realized how far we've allowed the system to fail before we're willing to fix it. When that happens, I think generally there tends to be a lot of heated discussion. There tends to be a lot of negative, um, conversations about the topic and I don't necessarily think that's good and I, like I said before it's oversimplifying the issue but um, I think just by the point of the the using photography to discuss these things um, we work in a very visual culture I think we rely very much on visuals to dictate what matters to us via um, social media and other digital tools and I think if we try to approach some of these conversations more from a positive standpoint, you know, not say, look how bad the system's failing, but more so look at what the system has provided for us, both as a country and as a culture, and why we need it around. Yeah. I think that's a better angle to approach. And like I said, it's an oversimplification, and there's a lot more involved in this. Um, but I think just starting a dialogue is important. I think that's really interesting point that you bring up in terms of looking at it positively and, and, and looking at what is provided uh, provided us rather than maybe what we're, I don't know, looking at how it's failing. And the reason I say that is it kind of brings to mind these, some of these principles of like behavioral economics in terms of uh, what it's, what we've discovered about loss aversion and how people, how people are more, less willing to lose something than they are to gain something, right? It feels worse to lose money than it than it does feel good to gain money to a certain extent. Like if you were given options, right, um, you'd be more upset about missing losing your money than you would be about missing out on gaining more. Um, and I think maybe that's counterintuitive in terms of looking at things positively versus negatively. And 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 maybe that theory would say that we'd in that case, look at something and say, what are we losing from this infrastructure? But I think you could also put it the other way and say, it's a, if we look at it positively, we see all the benefit that it's given mm -hmm. us, and now we can say, well, look what it's going to take away, as opposed to just being like, well, it's falling apart. We're looking at it negatively. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, yeah, you can sort of set up a scenario in which you pit the, the possibility, you know, like what you have now versus the possibility of what it might be, mm -hmm. um, right. and in in such a way that you highlight the value that this thing brings, and maybe maybe that's 
a big piece of awareness that you're looking for, I guess. I don't know. Um, and when yeah. you, I think when you say awareness, that's a good, a, a good word for it because, um, let's your last comment specifically in relation to portals and the subway photos, um, making people aware, you know, I only lived in Brooklyn for this past year and during that time I obviously met people who had been there much longer than I had, um, and when I started the project, I had three months left on my lease, and I figured when this was being developed, um, when I came to the idea that I was going to photograph every station and not just a select few, um, I started to realize the reason I was drawn to do that is I like to explore as much of an area that I live in as possible. And there's New York's huge, and there's large portions of the city that I don't think people go to. And as much as we talk about the ability for the system to connect people, it also kind of backfires, and I think when you have so much transportation and so many ways for people to get around, you start to develop your own niches, and you start to develop your own ways of going about, you know? So as much as people might know how to get to their subway station or might recognize some of these stations, um, a majority of the people I know in that city most likely wouldn't know a lot of what I was photographing because they've never been there. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that, that people can live in the city for so long and never go to so much of it. Uh And it's not that they have to. And that's the thing, because when you have a city of that scale, you know, you can only go to your few stops. You, you only need to go to the areas that you know, because it has everything you need. And maybe there's another area that has other stuffs, but that's your life. And that's where you're going about. And I think when people get into their routines, they tend not to want to change them. Um, so by kind of collecting as much of the city and its context as possible in the images, I wanted to show people that, look, there's parts of the city that you might have certain uh, notions about, you know, whether it be it's not safe or uh, it's not a friendly neighborhood, etc. And what I found interesting is some of the places that I think have those stereotypes um, actually tend to be some of the most beautiful photos and some of the um, my favorite memories from taking the project so it changed my view of the city and i'm hoping that it encourages more people to be aware of more portions of it yeah it's almost like your answer or asking and, and or posing two uh two issues in terms of hey this is an infrastructure that we have we don't want to lose but also look at how much life there is outside that that you're, you're you could potentially miss out on or potentially lose access to so i guess if that's so, if you take that as uh, maybe this is what the Portals Project is about, um, is that is that something that you had in mind when you're first developing this idea? You know, you're traveling across the country. Um, was this was there this idea? Maybe maybe it was at the forefront. Maybe it wasn't of not only just exposing the infrastructure, but also exposing people to. Uh, these other contexts or areas that normally they wouldn't be exposed to, whereas the infrastructure just passes through those areas. It's something ubiquitous that goes through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about when you photograph the same object, the same ubiquitous object from the same angle in every single photo, um, you kind of remove that object, actually. So yeah, as much as it's about it. the infrastructure, the images are almost suppressing it. Uh, the subway entrances and it's really about the context and the people around them yeah no that's really interesting because then you start to customize the street or you mm-hmm. see how people have changed the streetscape and changed their life and 
Uh, most of these photos, are they similar times of day or different times of day? Is that... Yeah, that's a good point. So um, one of the things that I really try to focus on, um, there's 255 stations within the underground portion of the system. And so that's 255 different stations that you can enter the subway. But each station will range between, you know, 1 and 20 entrances. So by photographing them all, if I wanted to show a city the scale of New York and try to show it in a standardized manner, one of the things that was important for me was constraining the images as much as possible and removing any variations that I could kind of control. And one of the largest ones was weather. So I generally tended to try to make sure the images almost looked as if I went out in one day and took all of them. <laughs> I didn't want the weather to be, you know, I didn't want different shadows or shade. I wanted it to purely be about that environment uh -huh. and not take into consideration the weather the day I took the photo. Uh-huh. Quite the endeavor. Yes, <laughs> yeah, so it was It was a, a few so months of so watching weather. How many weathers. McDonald's did you get in your photos? <laughs> Surprisingly, only one. Really? Uh, there's one, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The one photo, I think it was, um, I think it was in Brooklyn, but... It's your standard McDonald's, you know, it's not part of, like, a strip of, of stores. Like no, it's its own standalone stand store. store, which I mean, is really interesting. That brings up a question um, that might be kind of interesting and part of a larger research project. Um, of course, these are only taken from one one perspective, one vantage point, I think. Mm -hmm. I think maybe some yeah, there's you got multiple there, angles. There's technically two. So the project started as, as one vantage point, and I ended up doing two. All stations all 255 stations have that one vantage point mm -hmm. several of them have the second and when i say the two vantage points um majority of this stations all the stations i photographed across the street looking at the long side of the entry generally okay. the side that has subway written on it mm -hmm. in some form um that was the entry that tended that side tended to be parallel with the street parallel with the buildings next to it yeah um it was the easiest way to display the context and the station and keep it the same for every photo. Now, with that being said, I started the project with that in mind and started to realize how many different stations there were, how many different entrances had been designed for the system right. over you know the last hundred years. And because of that, some of them didn't quite fit that format. And so I came up with the second alternative, which is taking the short side, so actually looking down into... The entry and seeing people come in and out from the stairwell yeah um i also want to point out, it's not just the stairwells it also is the elevators i it's the portals the entrances to the station so it's not just stairs right but yeah every photo is taken from one of those two vantage points so what that means is you have a really really great documentation of all the context around there yeah but not just like sort of the impromptu interactions that are occurring in your images but at least at that time, any stores that are right in that area, you know, like where where the garbage cans are, is there is there a street vendor there? You know, is this a typical place for them to be? Um, you know, like all those things. And I wonder, you know, we did this we did this project kind of similarly uh, during grad school, but I wonder if there's some sort of takeoff, um, you know, sort of collective like research thing that starts happening where you you know you're figuring out like all these different things that are surrounding the stations and if. If there's any interesting correlations that might come out of that, hmm. I don't know. It's just a possible opportunity, I guess. Yeah, I. Um, so, 
As I mentioned before, this is 60% of the system, but that other 40% that I mentioned earlier, the elevated portions, um, I actually had that in mind for a further development of this project later in the future would be to investigate that other 40%. Mm -hmm. And I think that 40% um, fits more into what you're describing right now. I think the, the concept behind portals and the reason for the name portals is the idea that you enter... Um, you enter through this object that acts as a portal to another world. You enter from the context of the street in New York City into a standardized kind of ubiquitous system that doesn't inform you of anything above. Right. Sometimes it does through the signage or the names of the stations, but other than that, you lose all sense of context. And it's almost as if you're entering and exiting through these portals that you enter and all of a sudden you can pop up, you know, 10 miles on the other side of the city you know, after three delays yeah and <laughs> yes and there there is one thing though i think um one of the interesting things is when you can get glimpses of what's going on in that exterior environment um where maybe the station changes a little bit because it's a really significant stop or something or um where you have like you can see up out of the grates um from mm. the station platform and you can hear and smell and maybe even see, in some cases, uh, sort of the street or the sidewalk right above you. So, I don't know if that if that plays into it at all, or I mean, it's just it's yeah. just sort of, and some sometimes it can it can break that that experience that you're having mm -hmm. in this like almost prison like environment where you're just you're just being transported from one place to another, and you know all the trains are pretty much the same. All the stations are mostly the same. And, yeah, I don't think that that possibility breaks um, that kind of experience. If anything, it kind of teases what's above you. Yeah. It, I don't think, from what I remember, and, you know, don't quote me on this, because I, I didn't, like I said, I only went to the underground portions. But from my experience, I don't remember ever being underground in one of the stations and having enough glimpses or enough views from the outside to the grates that you are talking about tend to actually be pushed off of, they're actually angled yeah. away from the platforms of the station yeah. so it's not like you're seeing directly out when you're down there right you're, you're, you know you're kind of getting a glimpse and... of light but you're not actually able right. to see much now there are, might be places that you can get out but i really tried for this project to narrow down to that 255 stations because I think there were a few that were debatable based on what you said, you know, kind of whether or not I was f fully enclosed, etc. So besides the standardization of the images themselves, I came up with a list of constraints when I started the project that was like, because of the scale of it and understanding how many photos I was going to be taking, the final collection is 1,342 images. Because of that scale, I um, was concerned that the concept of the project would um, be pushed too far during its execution, and I would end up not staying um, cohesive mm -hmm. in my idea. So I wrote a list of five constraints. Um, very basic, but um, I went through, you know, if a station... Um, has any portion of it underground like there's several terminal stations where there you, you'll have a couple lines running through um, some of them are elevated some of them are underground I photographed that entire station because 
it leads you to the underground portion. So any station that might have had an underground portion was documented. Um, couple variations in terminal stations, you know, combining them so it was one station, etc. But I created this list of five constraints to kind of ground the project and make sure that it was clear and concise to as many people as possible. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, okay. So my ne next thing I think that you know I was thinking about as you're mm -hmm. talking about this, you know, the the idea that you you go into a portal, pop up, and you're just kind of somewhere new and it can be a really amazing experience going from maybe some of these lower lying areas of the outer outer portions of new york and then you end up in manhattan and there's there are these giant towers and you're just like wow this is kind of this crazy crazy contrast from where i started to where i ended up um or even going the opposite direction but i i, I guess i'd be curious to see and you brought this up earlier too about some of your favorite parts of the city being unexpected what were the Hmm. Can you give a couple examples of some of these great experiences that you thought maybe you wouldn't, or unexpected experiences that you maybe wouldn't have thought you'd have? Do you have one or two stories? Yeah, I think there were a couple. There were a couple key things that I took away while taking the photos. Um, first off, as I said before, I went to a lot of areas I had never gone to, and I hope to go back soon. Um, I think when you look at the photos, one of the most interesting things for me about them is. I kind of level the city in a sense by taking the photos. There's no area in any of these photos that takes precedent over another. There's no, you know, Times Square, the station, the subway stations at Times Square in this project are no more important than the stations in areas of the Bronx that people were saying don't go to, you know? So I think when you look at the photos, some of those places actually look a lot more beautiful and i think there's something to be said about the fact that you know everyone wants to go to times square when they go to new york and then there's large portions of the city that i think are much more worth investigating than that that was one of my favorite experiences so you know some of the areas that i would go to kind of on the fringes of the city the farthest stations that sometimes i was taking you know an hour and a half subway ride to get to and that seems extreme but um most people are probably willing to take a hour train north in Manhattan, you know, to you get up there. Um, but I think also it was interesting. I wrote down any of my experiences with people and any of my run-ins um, because I wanted to remember some of those. And I think what was so interesting to me was um, the people that would stop me and they would either ask me what newspaper I was working for or what I was doing. And generally, when I told them about the subway, I would either get a reaction of, please don't photograph me, or the reaction of, why are you photographing subways? Um, <laughs> but I think one of my favorite moments was actually, I I had one of those instances with a man in the Bronx, and then, you know, it took a couple months to take all these photos, as we were talking about earlier, and a few weeks had gone by, I'd done, you know, dozens of more stations, I was on, like, my fourth to last day, I think. And I ran into him again in Harlem, and he was asking me about the project, and um, it, was, it was just, it was, it was the first time I had ever had an experience like that where um, someone recognized what I was doing outside of uh, my friend circle, and that was a um, welcoming feeling. <laughs> yeah, so, you're like building a relationship almost with the city in, in a way that's even deeper than... Than perhaps 
you normally expect it to be through a project like this. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that, so you, you mentioned that one story and I know that you've told me other stories as well. That <laughs> some of them are pretty funny actually. Uh, I don't know if you want to share them, but so there's that, but is there anything, so those are, those are anecdotes or experiences that you had with people. But in terms of the experience of being on the subway, someone mm -hmm. that has entered into this infrastructure, do you have any, can, I mean, I don't know if, if this is the case, but if you, if you have, can you describe any experiences in which um, there was something unique that happened while you were in there, or maybe not even un unique, but an experience that you had while in the subway? Because granted it's always ubiquitous but the interactions that you have with the people once you're in that system aren't and so while yes. the infrastructure may be ubiquitous the the societal interactions are uh, it seems like maybe maybe there is some standard you always have that kid those that group of kids that is trying to do gymnastics in the subway car mm -hmm. but um I, I guess maybe if you could sort of speak to how how people continue to interact or if there's a way in which people change their interactions once they enter into the system. Oh yeah, that's that's an interesting mm -hmm. point. Like, I I will say I, I mean I I think there is something to be said about generosity within that city, and what I mean is like, um, I don't think I I saw it very often where someone wouldn't get up if they saw someone who needed to sit, you know whether it be someone who's pregnant, whether it's someone with a disability, someone who's elderly, hmm. you know, it, I always saw people willing to get up for other people. And I think that was really encouraging to see. Um, positive. Yeah, it was really positive. The other side, though, I, I also had moments that were the complete opposite. I had a moment, it was a month to the day that I moved to the city. Before I was doing this project, I was on the train going between friends and I don't know if it's through my photography or just my general curiosity. I tend to, you know, look around when I'm kind of just waiting, passing time. I'm just sitting there and sitting across from me, this man called me out in front of the entire train station uh, for staring at him, apparently, he thought, and just went off on me about, <laughs> you know, how inappropriate that was. It's awkward. Yeah, and it was a very uncomfortable experience for me because I, I thought I was just, you know, looking around the train, seeing who was on and stuff, and I didn't think I was staring at him or anything, but... Apparently, my curiosity um, was a little more than he was used to on the train. So, hmm. How odd. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was a very, very unique experience. It only happened once, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah, I don't want too many of those. Um, okay, so let's get to this exhibit a little bit, because I had, I had a thought while we were, while we were talking. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had had conversations before about how we want... How what what the most appropriate way someone is to react or interact I guess uh, interact with these photos versus um, you know some of the other elements like mapping mapping the the project mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering because you had brought up how you you're kind of equalizing the playing field across the city right um, and I wonder if in some way you could gamify that uh, that interaction or this idea of leveling the playing field right not giving a location to each subway stop but just giving hmm. it maybe it's a number portal whatever right and and maybe you put it on a line or something so you can sequentially move down this line if you want to but um suppose that suppose that you give people the ability to uh vote on their favorite stop or vote on a stop that they think 
the context is particularly beautiful yeah. or the people yeah. around it are particularly beautiful or or something that they find attractive about it, striking about it, unique about it, whatever. And I th- it would be curious to see what they find most interesting, right? Is mm-hmm. it the Times Square? Is it the Bronx? Is it some random place in Queens? Whatever. Um, uh, yeah, is it is it the touristy places or is yeah. it somewhere unexpected? And then and then maybe maybe you at the end you take them to some sort of map and they can see which portal they they voted for and where that is in the city and and maybe they'll be pleasantly surprised yeah. maybe they'll be kind of uh maybe they'll know exactly where they were and they, it's expected of them but it could be a nice interaction there between mm. yeah did you expect to see what you saw huh that's pretty i i think that's a pretty interesting idea i don't I don't know, is there a way that you could set up, like, a Twitter thing to kind of record that over time? Or do we just do, like, a regular, like, poll or something? Yeah, I, th- I feel station? like you would need to... I don't know. I'm trying to think how you could do that I don't know if you just put pins on the photo. Right, but that, that'd be tough to do. Yeah. I don't know. Or you just yeah. give them a, a, a punch card or, or mark X on this or write it down. I don't know how you I well, do you, it. You, well, what you would do is you would... You would find your favorite photo, and then it would tell you, or then you would be able to see where it is. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do it digitally mm-hmm. and, and connect yeah. them. It's just a matter of can can that be wired up and, and hmm. can the infrastructure for that be put in place? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you're getting at the idea of, um, you know, forcing people to reconsider different parts of a city that they live in, um, I think. We, we keep going back just because of the scale of the project, and I keep stressing that, but um, one of the things that's important for me for Americana and just for all these photographs in general is I think a lot of what I'm interested in, in documenting isn't necessarily understood just through one image. Um, and I think what I'd like to do in the future with further projects is continue to um, utilize photography to kind of explain larger scales of systems you know and that's why i tend to stick to infrastructure explaining how this system impacts every portion of the city Uh not just through one image but through every image um and so an idea i had had similar to yours was looking at if you could present a a group of people who had never seen any of these images and didn't know anything about the project if you could kind of sample a group of people and show them some of these images and I'd be curious to see what their, what the first thing is that you know they kind of focus on, when they look at each image. Um, People. And I think it would be interesting because I think when you just show the first photo, it's going to be different than when you realize there's a series here. Yeah. And there's a standardization of the same right. object in every image. Yeah. Um, right. You'd have to switch up the order or something if you wanted to get a yeah. truly unbiased. But I think it would be interesting to compare how people are, what people are drawn to in the imagery and what that says about how people view their surroundings. Yeah. Because a lot of the images, I try to take it, you know, from my eye level. I'm not trying to take it out from a different perspective that your yeah. everyday commuter or everyday person on the street wouldn't have. Yeah. So by that, what I'm really trying to do is just take a screenshot of what I'm seeing on the street and if you're presenting people with a bunch of these screenshots it would be interesting to see how what they're drawn to and what you know they're trying to focus on I think that would give a understanding of what people 
yeah. really pay attention to on their everyday yeah. walk. I think, you know, Christian's brought up this this people a couple times, yeah. right? And, and just kind of blurted it out, uh, which is fine. <laughs> it's, it's what he does. And it's, 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 it's you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, well, there's a couple things. <laughs> but <laughs> that aside, I, I, I think it's because, and correct me if I'm wrong, we had, we had read an article um, where some of these MIT researchers had done some study where they'd shown a bunch of people these photographs and, and routinely, and they've done eye tracking software, hmm. right, where you're oh. looking at a screen and looking at what people look at in these photographs and routinely they spend the most time on faces or trying to figure out what a person is doing, right? And then after that, it's jumping... And, and the building is one of the last things that they look at, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I suppose the trend could uh, continue with that, but there are so many people in this image, right? You're going to be looking at the people, and I wonder if, you know, something like signage would also pay, play mm-hmm. a huge role because that's something you notice immediately in these pictures as well. And uh, <laughs> maybe to a certain extent, some people won't even realize there's a series of subways because it's so yeah. different. Yeah. You know, they all look different. Yeah, and it's also just... To be frank, people don't look at subways. People don't look at infrastructure. And I'm not trying to say that pessimistically, but to a degree I am. I think, um, you know, some of the stuff that's in the news and some of the stuff that we're discussing now, when it comes to these systems, um, you know, we've allowed them to fail to a certain point. And I'm not trying to make this a political argument or anything. I'm not saying that it's, you know, one side. I think it's everyone. I think as a country, we have largely ignored the things that we have relied on more than sometimes we understand. And I think there's something to be said that as as much as people will look at the people in the photographs and that stuff, um, at the end of the day, someone is designing this, someone is building this stuff in our environment. And it would be nice to know that more people are aware of that and aware of how that's happening and how it will affect them. Oh, wholeheartedly agree that these decisions should be understood the more macro level even if you don't control them at that macro level yeah. at least understanding some of these things you know understanding some of these relationships so i think trying to present that scale of infrastructure through photographs i think that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to show people that this might be something that you don't think about this might right. be something that's at a scale that you don't regularly understand but i'd like to try to present it to you in a way that you do so hopefully we can start a conversation. Right. Well, it's cool because infrastructure is so often so beautiful, but at the same time it's designed in such a way that if it's working well, you're not supposed to look at exactly. it. Exactly. not supposed to notice it, right? And, and, and it's not until we've passed a tipping point that I think we are beginning to look at it. Yeah. Right. So it's like as soon as it, you notice it, then there's something wrong, right? And yes. it's like how can you – how do you get it – how do you design it to a point where you notice it before there's something wrong but not break it to the – not break it in terms of – you're not supposed to notice that's there. Well, one question I have is when we... Because I know that you mentioned with Portals that you were living in New York City mm-hmm. and you figured your your idea is that you should do one of these projects for each city that you live in uh, mm-hmm. sort of document what you see as the most important or one of the most meaningful infrastructures that that city operates on or one that makes it unique to that city at least. Um, but when it comes to the scale of the country... Yes. Um... How do you, do you evaluate one that you think is more significant? Do people in urban areas, are they more likely to be aware of infrastructures than someone in a less urban area? Or, I mean... Well, yeah, I, that's and, an interesting question. Yeah, I, I, and that's actually something, so now that I have started this first project, and now that Portals has gotten to a certain point, and it's about to be exhibited, and 
you know, hopefully displayed elsewhere. <laughs> I, I think um, I'm starting now to, you know, scale back even more, not look at it specifically at just a city level, but look at it at a, um, from the perspective of the entire country. You know, as I said, I started this from those road trips and the f- things that I was most interested originally in doing had to do with the federal highway system, um, the national parks and the infrastructure of the parks and other things like that, right. you know, and then, you know, I moved to New York, I, I started my, my job and, um, I realized that because of the exposure that I currently have and because of what resources are available to me, portals made sense. Portals, I, I it wasn't that it was a safe bet, but, um, the failure of the subway system in New York was starting to really hit the news when I started the project. Um, I was experiencing it, taking the, the photographs, and I wasn't even trying to get to my office or anything. I was just standing around doing the work and riding the, the trains and seeing how frustrated everyone was and seeing you know how long delays would be. It made sense that I was doing this when I was. Now that I have, I think there are some other things that I would like to investigate at a larger scale and i think i'm actually more interested in investigating the rural side of this stuff that you know the infrastructure we talked about before out what we say is the middle of the nowhere you know out in the desert where it seems like no one exists there right but there's signs that we have and right. there's signs that we're connecting other portions of the country together i think that's the stuff that really interests me right now well what, what's cool about that is you know in the city right the city is almost literally made up of infrastructure you wouldn't have a city without infrastructure but at the same and and it's not true at all it's almost the opposite in fact for the rural areas Mm -hmm. but at the same time in the rural areas infrastructure is literally the lifeblood of the city and if the one infrastructure that is there fails you're screwed versus in the city if one infrastructure fails you're inconvenienced but you have other ways of moving Hmm. around i think you know it goes back to your question of which one's more important or which one's more obvious and you know, it's hard to answer that question. No, no, no. I don't. I don't know if there's necessarily an answer to that question. Yeah, but I wonder if. I think that's why I try to look at it not from the perspective of which is more important, but necessarily which impacts to a large degree how we view the city. So, not necessarily the most significant in terms of getting around the city, but we wouldn't view New York City the way we do if it wasn't for an underground system you know before the 1950s same for london yeah before the 1950s a large portion of manhattan was actually elevated and that was eventually pushed underground and almost all but one station in manhattan is currently underground yeah that borough of the city developed much differently once the stations were underground and the system was pushed off of the street right then other areas of the city, portions of Brooklyn or the Bronx or Queens or Staten Island that isn't underground, that has elevated portions and how people in the city um, interact with those is different. And I guess what I'm just saying is that it's not necessarily that that's the most important system in the city, but I think it impacts our cultural view of the city larger than others, if that makes sense. No, that's very true. Yeah, I think subways are sort of this, the subway systems are train transit systems like this are almost sort of the most prestigious of, mm. of them because because they're so expensive and high cost and then when they do when they do occur in a city when they are in a city they get such or when they're done well in a city anyway they're almost like the most essential piece of that because it's the way people get around 
you know, you look at Chicago, you take the buses, but I think a lot of people take the buses to the subway lines, to the hmm. CTA lines, so they can get across the city, right? And when we were in Shanghai, we only used the subway. When when uh, when we were in New York, when yeah. we went for spring break during grad school, we pretty much only used the subway, right? It's when you have it, it's hmm. amazing, but it's so yeah, high but cost. It's to the point to the point you made before, you know, um, in a city such as that. If that system does fail, it could be more of an inconvenience to right. some than others. But in, at the national scale, some of these areas that are more remote or more rural, um, that rely more heavily on certain systems, especially when it comes to um, infrastructure of resources and moving you know, water or gas or electricity or power right. or telephone wires around the country... Um, one of those goes out in, a, in an area. It's a very different situation than if someone has a delayed subway yeah. commute. And it kind of becomes part of that American freedom identity of, you know, being able to do what you want to do because mm-hmm. you're able to move across the country yeah. how you move across the country. And then you kind of push that to the limit with your off-road vehicles and whatnot. But still, it's, it's your freedom to move around, freedom to, you know, that's why maybe mass transit's not as popular anymore because that... that is freedom to move around, but it's less freedom, right? Because you have to stick to schedules and yeah. such. And there's something to be said about that. There's there's a lot of... I think public transit is increasing in a lot of urban areas. I think people are being drawn to more public right. mass transportation. But it's not happening at a, a rural, national scale. I think it's not happening... It can't happen. Well... You don't have the density to make no, it happen. yeah. Right, you stop. You you put a train in rural Kansas. You st- every stop has like three not, people. No, who get no, on, no. Right? Not if that uh, you put a subway, that... but the way that we utilize some of these mass public transit systems in urban areas, I think some of that could be taken and applied, um, not to rural areas, but connecting larger portions of the country through a larger scale of transit. Well, yeah, and okay, so that's you know, something uh, that's really the, interesting. the largest area, the largest. Um, yeah. Well, that's something that's really interesting about about the U.S., right, is is in the past we were we built this country so much on infrastructure and we had the stomach for it, and now it's like we don't have the stomach for it because as soon as there's cost overruns where people are outraged and, and they're like, how is this benefiting me and whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. But, you know, that's it's almost the opposite of rural, and, and right? Because it's like those people who feel underserved by mass transit that goes between cities or that are more regional, right? Because generally, if that's going to be efficient, there's not going to be stops in the rural areas. But it'd be super useful to have a train going between Chicago and Milwaukee that got there in 45 minutes, right? I could literally commute to Chicago or uh, vice versa or Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago to Indianapolis or the California cities, the Texas cities, whatever. Yeah, and I think there's a lack of those conversations going on right now. I think, and I, um, I don't know. If that's very. I think that's understandable. I think there's a lot of things going on um, that we're discussing as a country right now that the majority of people would argue is far more important than building a new rail that connects two cities in the country. And I understand that to a large degree. <laughs> what I think is important to point out, though, is that. Infrastructure impacts everyone. The things that I'm specifically trying to focus on is infrastructure that is right. as neutral as possible. You know, I'm, I think people sometimes, because we don't talk about this stuff as much as I believe we should, um, I think some of these decisions are made, things are built, 
um, certain neighborhoods are segregated or right. certain cultures are impacted because of it. And then later on, it becomes a, a conversation of how these, um, how such a systematic thing could allow the issues that we're currently facing to happen. But then we're continuing to say, oh, but we, we don't want to spend the money or the time or the effort to continue to invest in this stuff. We don't want that. We have other things that are more important. But if we continue to do that, it's going to continue to impact everyone. It's going to continue to divide people. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that we don't talk about it as much as it's talked about. I think as a, a culture, we don't talk about it. You know, it's, it, it's, I'm sure it's talked about at a federal level. I'm sure it's talked about it by the people who are actually making these decisions. It's not talked about in the news. It is not talked about in general conversation. Well, or, or, or it's no. talked about in a very political way. I think <laughs> yes, that's the it problem. is politicized, it's, it's, and it's politicized by everyone. And... I, I think that's more to me, more than lack of talk about it. It's too much of a political tool to use, right? Yes. It's like, well, I'm going to put subways in, and then and then you're like, no, you're not going to spend the money to put subways in. We're going to put highways off in the middle of nowhere and help my constituents right yes. and it's like whose constituents are helping who rather than uh rather than just greater good or who access where the greatest number of people of access or right and yeah i i guess what i was getting at is a lot of the stuff that there was a large influx of public um large-scale projects that were done in this country during the 20th century i mean we don't obviously a lot of them are known but mm-hmm. Um, there are also now that, you know, we're 50, 60 years down the line from some of these being built, we're starting to understand how they were utilized, how infrastructure and how the built environment can be unified, uh, utilized to divide people. And I think if the conversation of how can we unify more people is, um, obviously very prevalent right now. And in order to continue to have that conversation, I think we need to look more at the systems that make those decisions not just the people who are making the systems but how the systems are actually being handled and i wonder if some of that too is is you think about the past all these systems were maybe necessary in terms of economic growth right you have trains connecting the country then you have cars connecting the country and it's easy to sell trains connecting everyone to everyone because it to a certain extent benefit benefits everyone and then when the car comes along it's easy to sell cars to everyone because it doesn't, cars don't discriminate if you live in the city or the suburbs or the rural areas. Everyone can find the car useful. But now if we push beyond that and push towards the high-speed rail con- conversation, high-speed rail only really benefits people in urban areas because making high-speed rail stops in rural areas, all of a sudden it's not high-speed rail anymore. It's, I can get up to 200 miles an hour for two seconds, but I have to slow down immediately just make the next stop. Mm-hmm. 20 miles down the road and, and maybe it's a lot harder to sell that to everyone and that's where it becomes more divisive because yes. you can quite clearly see who it's benefiting it's the city folk yeah and i think that's the point of some of these projects i'd like to do and why i started with portals is i want to show people how it benefits not just a select group of individuals but everyone when you mention the highways and automobile um as much as high-speed transit and some of these things we're talking about with pushing infrastructure in the future is important we also have to realize that we have a failing federal highway system yeah. where our largest mode for transporting goods around the country is through trucking. Yeah. Yet we continue to let the system fail, and there's incredible detrimental consequences to that that we're going to have to face if we continue to let that happen. But 
like you said, you know, we don't want to have that conversation. We already built the highway. We already have the money put into it. I don't yeah. see it doesn't impact me. I don't use the highway to drive to work, but then you don't understand how it actually right. impacts and, you. You right. know, it is impacting you more on an everyday basis than I think more people understand. Right. One of one of the things that I've been thinking about as you're saying this, like you're going about awareness here in terms of documenting these elements, what what the infrastructures are uh, physically uh, through photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's been thrown around, I think is um like like the idea of emissions tax tax or something like that so you understand the resources you're using and the impact uh that has on the environment when you're driving your car or whatever and so i wonder if there's a similar idea here where it's not necessarily a tax but um it's something that tells you or you or it it, it, i don't know if what sort of form maybe it'd be like an app or something but it tells you the the value that you're gaining from the infrastructure around you hmm. and so maybe in some way uh it, it, it encourages you as a person as a taxpayer um to you know be open to the greater right. investment into these things right no i um, i could definitely see that you know i i don't know like i it's because it's not it's not going to be interesting like social media or something like i don't know how you would actually right. make that to be something compelling, right? You'd have to kind of count on politicians to express the right values to people, and, and or or people to listen to experts who tell them what the numbers are. But I, I could see that being really interesting, just because, you know, I'm I'm definitely a proponent of high speed rail. I think it's something that could be quite useful in terms of like you look at the housing market in San Francisco or Seattle or places like that where it's extremely expensive to live because of the, the industry that's moved there and and and, and just hiking up the the value of the land there because everyone wants to live there um so so could you have high-speed rail right that links san francisco to fresno or san francisco to sacramento and make commutes from place to place useful or seattle to tacoma or seattle to whatever other nearby somewhat large city is right but i think maybe where that comes into place is could you say well Maybe that that shows the fringe benefits to the rural people outside of Sacramento, rural people outside of Fresno who see increased business somewhere that's 30 minutes from them as opposed to all the business going out way out in San Francisco, right? It's not a direct benefit. They're not the ones commuting to San Francisco Mm -hmm. to go to work, but they are the ones who are selling goods to the people who can now live in Fresno. Mm Mm-hmm moving to or Mm. working in san francisco right that's that's the thing people need to realize that some things you benefit from some things whether or not you realize them. right it's not always direct yes and i don't think infrastructure the benefits of infrastructure are almost never direct unless you're talking about transportation which we largely have been talking about transportation but if you talk about you know as i said before moving around resources and stuff like that that's not ever a direct understanding for anyone. Yeah. You know, you're not directly understanding when you pick up the phone the infrastructure behind that. Right. Yeah. No, well, that's definitely true yeah. in any sort of resource related thing right. that we deal with today. And I think it'll be interesting to see where this exhibit goes mm-hmm. in terms of how you get that awareness, right? Because obviously it's never going to be as simple as I'm going to put pictures on and hope they look at it. It's you know what's the next step beyond that how do you know we talked about the interaction thing or we talked about like if we can get more funding can we increase more put more interactions into it um and 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 maybe look at some of these look some look at maybe look at some of these behavioral things and um 
and and yeah go from there right you know loss aversion and, and opening people's eyes that way mm. um okay so yeah we're we're at about an hour um well, so maybe well, we gotta we, drag this out at least like 30 more seconds <laughs> <laughs> well no I, I was i was gonna I, I was actually gonna do that i want to i want to know what your views on the future are robert for in terms of where you want to go and also where you want these projects to go um i'd like an opportunity to continue to publicize this project i'd like um to hopefully gather more resources so that I can continue to bring this out to as many people as possible. And then with that, I hope that some of these larger systems that we've discussed, some of these larger, more remote areas of the country, um, the infrastructure that impacts them at a scale larger even than the subway system in New York that's impacting millions of people, I would like to try to start to investigate some of those systems. All right. But so- in the meantime... So you heard Robert wants resources. So if you want to go donate to, <laughs> if you want to go donate to Robert, you can shameless uh, plug. <laughs> you can find uh, his website at rs prochaska prochaska. P yeah r s p r o c h a s k a dot com for or, anyone who didn't get that. Pretty much everyone. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and also, um, until the exhibit opens on April second, right now we are. Um, I'm I'm trying to. Continue to get the project out there by posting on Instagram. So um, if you follow take the then underscore three times train, you can find the Instagram account. <laughs> we'll post so that one too. Take the <laughs> blank train and you can find the Instagram account. Oh, man. Take the which train? Yeah. Which train are we taking? I don't know. You have to follow the account to find <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Robert, for doing thank this you, with us. Thank you, Christian and Christian, for having me. Right. Yeah, we we it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. It was a good time. No, right. we definitely enjoyed it, and you know we'll, you'll be back here soon. I yes. think, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, right. that's good. We'll do this again. Well, we'll we'll post another episode next week. Have a have a good one. See ya.